be seated this morning. Good morning, EVC. Uh, that's pretty poor. Okay, let's try that again. Good morning, EVC. That's much better. I was going to say, see, I always tell you guys you're so much better than the first service, and not so much today. So just telling you, that's the way it goes. But hey, what an incredible, exciting weekend for our church. Our Disciple Now is going on this week. If you see some t-shirts, it looks like kids actually did their t-shirts themselves, themselves, then guess what? They did. Yeah. So, uh, but it is awesome to see what God has done through our kids this weekend. They've had a great Disciple Now weekend. Yesterday, we had our EVC Go service project for the school next door, and it was exciting. I want you to see, this is the before picture right here, because, uh, okay, it's right, right there, right there, is it, there it is, okay, thank you. Uh, all right, so as you see that, now, if you weren't there yesterday, it's a little bit hard to see some of the th different things, but this is totally, it's just weeds. There's really very little grass that's actually there, and you see some of the little pathways and different things, and yes, here's the move that bus moment, right? So the reveal is done, and here's the, what it looks like today. Is that not awesome? Does that not look cool? It really looks great. Now, now, to get the full picture of this and to understand why I and many others will not be able to move Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday of this week, is that all this kind of rose-colored, uh, red-colored stuff that you see is decomposed granite, okay? We just sang we would move mountains, right? Did we just say that? Well, we did yesterday, okay? And the, uh, the granite mountain was moved from the, from the uh, alleyway there until into the actual place right here at the courtyard. So as you guys drive past it, it's going to be so exciting to see the teachers who left on Friday with their courtyard one way and to come back and see that transformation. Is that not, that's really cool. It was great to see. Yesterday, as we saw that, it was incredible because it was like ants. We were just like all over the place. And I mean, there were shovels going. I got hit a couple times. You know, it was really pretty incredible how different things happened. There were limbs being chopped off. We were having to usher children out of the way so they didn't get killed or anything. And so no children were harmed or adults in the uh, actual doing of this project. But it was great to see just in a great example of God's people when we come together all at once in four hours, there was incredible transformation. Now when all of us get to work together, what kind of transformation can take place all over our community? We've been in this series talking about hearing from God, the adventure of actually being in God's Word. And we want to close that out today as we talk finally about how we actually study God's Word. Now, as we were doing this project yesterday, it would have been okay if we didn't have any tools. We could have gone in there with our hands and, and uh, you know, really tried to, to really take all that grass out. And we could have picked up stuff, all the granite with our shovels and different, or without shovels, we could have picked it up with our hands and carried it handful by handful into but it was a whole lot easier to do with tools right you know what I'm saying and so the whole idea is that we can do incredible things with God when we have the right tools to actually use now unfortunately yesterday we had several people that didn't quite know really what they were doing and if you look at this first picture Pastor Jason didn't quite understand <laughs> raking up leaves okay so Pastor Jason you know we love how he uses the tool of his guitar in God's worship, in worshiping God, and also at the piano. He's really gifted at that, but we need to keep rakes out of Pastor Jason's hands because sometimes using those tools, not using them for the way that they're intended. And, and poor Tamara Smith, okay? Tamara, Tamara, you are really good. I know you love to mop floors, but, but Tamara, it doesn't work to use a mop on the dirt and the grass to try to get that out. That's just really not the most effective means to do that and our boy scouts came out and cub scouts came and helped us and this is one of their fearless leaders and this is the future of our boy scouts in america ladies and gentlemen you know he has a shovel that's good to have a tool but you might need to use it for what it's intended for right you might actually get it in the right direction well, the reason I share these great pictures, I'm really teasing, because they did phenomenal work, all of them, using the tools in the right way, for the most part, yesterday. And God accomplished some great things through our people yesterday. And God has given us some very specific tools to be able to go into God's Word and to mine out the treasures that He really has 
for each one of us. And we've talked about reading God's Word. We've talked about the reliability of God's Word. We've talked about how to actually look at it and, and discern things for us. But today, I want to take you to the next level of this. And as we conclude the series today, I want you to learn how to study God's Word. Today, I want to give you some tools to place in your toolbox, okay? We all have tools uh, in different things in our garages, okay? Some of us don't know how to use those tools very well. I grew up in the home of an incredibly skilled carpenter. My father can make incredibly beautiful pieces out of wood. My brother gained that skill as well. They took all of it, and I got none of it, okay? So now I have tools that have been passed down to me, and I can, I can be pretty handy on certain things, but if you ask me to start from scratch and create something, those are just not skills that I have, even though I sometimes have the tools. But what I want to give you today are to put some tools in your toolbox to be able to actually study and mine God's Word for yourself. You see, I was talking with... Uh, young lady just the other day we have great discussions going home uh, from church on Wednesday nights with my girls and, and the friends that they bring and one of their friends asked we were talking about this question of college now unlike many of the political leaders of our day I don't believe that everyone should go to college okay I'm not gonna hold that today that was a joke okay y'all can laugh at any moment with that but but I don't believe everybody necessarily should go to college but here's what I believe I believe that college is much more attainable than a lot of people feel like that, that it is. For a lot of people, they look at college and they say, I don't think I can do that. And this young lady was saying, I'm just not sure I'm cut out to do that. I said, hang on just a second. And I got my best friend on the phone. Now, my best friend is actually a fireman in northwest Arkansas. That when he was in junior high and high school, he really didn't feel like he would amount to much as far as it went through schooling and through actually doing some of those things. He had counselors and teachers told, <clears throat> tell him that he was probably not college material. But I got him on the phone because he not only went to college, but he did very, very well. And I said, Alan, I want you to tell, tell her, what, what would you say if I told you that she doesn't think that, that college is really, she's necessarily cut out for that or she's not sure that she can do it? And he got on the phone, and I heard he was on the speakerphone, and he said, I want you to know that my teachers didn't think that I could do it, but I learned how to study so many people go to college and they had such a breeze through high school and junior high and the thing is that they've not learned how to do is they've not learned how to study they've not learned the habits that go into being able to study and that young lady heard that day someone who struggled but who made it through in an incredible way and today i want to give you some tools to help you study and mine what it is that god's word has for you and I so when we do this today what I really want you to be able to do is I want every person in here today if you are ever asked to lead a Bible study if you are ever asked to just do a devotional or to do do something from God's Word I want you to have the ability to do that but even more so than that I want you to have the ability just like we've been talking through this series that I want you to be able to go to God's Word and understand not only what it says but how it applies to your life we have challenged you to take your Bibles off their shelves and to actually read it. And today I want to show you some ways that you're going to actually be able to get in God's Word. We're actually going to do a couple of those even here while we're sitting here today. And you can understand what God's Word has to say to you. But one of the things that we've been doing is we've been doing these short videos on Facebook. As we've been going through the, the reading ourselves as a, our pastoral staff, We've been placing these videos on Facebook. The only reason we're doing that is not because God speaks to us in a unique way. That's exactly what we don't want you to believe. As we've been reading and going through this adventure series, these 42-day readings, we've just been placing a three- to five-minute video on just what we sense God is saying to us. But isn't that the mystical question that you hear from people? That they hear from God and you wonder, okay, what are they saying? What are they really saying? When they're saying that I am hearing from God. The question is, can we really hear from God? And the answer is, say it with me, yes. But it's not some mystical thing that we can't understand how to do it. It is something that once you learn and discover what it's like, that you can really begin to understand God's word. 
phone? I forgot to turn off my phone. Oh, hang on just a second. Hello? Yes, Lord. <laughs> Belinda Henson? You have a word for her? Is she She's on the fifth row, right? Oh, you know where she's sitting. No problem. Okay. <laughs> Belinda, God has a word for you, and he wants to say something. No, he, he, he doesn't. Okay, so... Belinda said no to God. Let it be said. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. She said no, no. I am teasing. When we hear, can I hear from God, quite honestly, many of us look at it and we go, we think that's special for some people They just hear from God. I'm here to tell you, since I was nine years old when I accepted Christ, I've never heard an audible voice from God. Not saying that other people don't. I'm not going to rule that out. God can do whatever he wants to do, right? And he certainly has spoken in an audible voice over his son saying, this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. And that's where Peter, I said a couple of weeks ago, gives us an understanding that he was an eyewitness. He heard the voice of God. But when I talk about hearing from God, I want you to understand what I mean by that. It is not some mystical approach that I am seeking to give you that I hear God in a way that you can't. What I want to show you today is that you can hear from God. And one of my favorite authors to read is a man named Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is actually a professor of psych, uh, psychology or sociology and uh, uh, philosophy. Thank you. I will eventually get it. He is a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. Very liberal institution. But he is a very conservative believer in Jesus Christ. And I love many of the books that Dallas Willard has written. And he quotes a man when, in his book called Hearing from God that I want to share with you today. When we talk about can we really hear from God, the answer is yes. But I want to help you to know how you can do that today. I want to give you some tools of how you actually can walk away today and know that you can hear from God. But this is a quote that I love. Frederick Meyer is the one who gives this. He says, the circumstances of our daily life are to us an infallible indication of God's will. The circumstances of daily life are to us an infallible indication of God's will. Now, if we were to stop right there, we would be an incredible error. If I stopped right there, you would stamp an H on my forehead and call me a heretic today, and actually, maybe you should burn me at the stake, because here's the thing. We can't just look at our circumstances and say that our circumstances are what gives us God's will. If we do so, then anything that we think we can actually say that it is God's will. Anything that, any path that takes, takes us through, you know, I remember doing stupid, stupid stuff like, you know, God, if I can throw this rock into that dumpster over there a long way away, then I'm going to believe that this is a sign from you that I'm going to do this. I'm telling you, don't live your life that way. Because your circumstances, guess what? Change. There are people sitting in these chairs all around you today that if they based God's will just on their circumstances, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? We'd start thinking things that if, we, if somebody runs out in front of us and it was just God's will that we hit them or that they hit us or that different things, we start living by our circumstances. Our circumstances do what? They change. But thankfully, he goes on because here's what he says. He doesn't just say that it's our circumstances, but they are an infallible part of the process when they concur with the inward promptings of the Spirit and the Word of God. In other words, when they agree with that inner voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you understand that? Every single one of us who have Christ and invited Christ into our life, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. Matter of fact, the Bible says that it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. The only way that we knew that we needed a Savior is because the Holy Spirit convicts us. And so when our circumstances and the inward promptings of the Holy Spirit line up with what? God's Word. God's Word that does not change. When the inner promptings of the Spirit and our circumstances line up with the Word of God, it is then that we can know that the will of God for us 
doesn't preach. And what do we do? It goes on to the next part of this quote. And it says, so long as they are stationary, God's fine. That's what our culture doesn't want us to hear, does it? We live in the fast food, I want to hear from God and go do something world. I want to know what God wants me to do in this situation, and I want to know it today. And so what I'm advocating for you and I today is this. God can speak to you. He does speak to you. He wants to continue to allow you to hear his voice when in your circumstances, in the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life, when they line up with the unmovable object that is written down, God's word. And when it does, God acts. But when he doesn't, he wants us to wait until we know the direction that he wants us to take. And when you must act, he says, they will open. And a way will be made through oceans and rivers, waters and rocks. When I read that, I thought of Moses. Moses, here he comes. He comes out of Egypt. He's got between one and a half to three million people that he is leading. And he comes to the immovable water. And he has behind him an army that is the Egyptian army of Pharaoh that is pursuing him. And he comes to that place where he says, I don't know what to do. And God shows him, put forward your staff. And the way opens. Until God speaks, until you know it is his voice, until it lines up with his word, you wait. And when it does line up, then you act. And you make your way through ways that people even though they look at it from their point of view, could never believe that God would answer in this way. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, can we really hear from God? And is it some mystical thing? And the answer is, yes, we can hear. And no, it's not mystical. What I want to show you today is to give you some tools to help you with that. But then we have to ask this question. Why should I study God's Word? Why? I should, first of all, study God's Word because it equips you. It gets you ready for the task that God has at hand for you. Look at Psalm 1, verse 2. It says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. When you lay God's word in your heart, when you put it before your eyes, when you read it, when you study it, what God is trying to do in your life and my life is to equip us for what he wants to do. I love this metaphor because this metaphor is simply that. It is this metaphor of a tree. And remember that Jesus uses metaphors all the time. Matter of fact, that's what his parables are. We're going to do a series this summer on the parables of Jesus where Jesus would see someone like sowing seeds. And he would point his way in the eyes of his disciples. He would point to that person sowing seed. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like that. I don't know about you, but I learn a whole lot better in those kind of metaphors and pictures. And this is one of those that, that God gives to us in Psalm 1. That we are like a tree. When we read God's word, we are like a tree planted by rivers of water. A couple of years ago, I went on a spiritual retreat. And at one particular point of that retreat, I was literally in the middle of two little streams and I was on this little bitty island in between of these streams that went around me and right there was this incredible tree it was huge and it grew up in those streams of water and I read this passage and I was saying God what are you saying to me and I looked around and I saw all the little trees that were there and you see God's inner promptings and the circumstances that I w was in lined up with his word and the message that I really sensed from God was Randy I'm planting you as a tree and the fruit that will come out of your life will be other trees that are planted and they will then yield other trees and other things and see so this message that I was getting was lining up with God's word that he equips us what he wants to give you and I is he wants to give us fruit from our lives that has been born in the lives of others. We had a great meeting yesterday with some of our men as we began our uh, 
study, the resolution study, and it just came up again. It just seems to always come up naturally, but I believe this with my whole heart. Jesus and the writers of the Old Testament and Jesus Christ himself and the apostles began this race. As I watched my daughter this past week, she didn't run this relay, but I saw other kids run the relay, and it's that baton passing point that's so critical in a relay. See, he equips us to pass the baton in an effective way to the next generation, to the people that are around you, to your neighbors and friends, to the people that you need to give life into. The only way that you're going to have any life is not that you have it in and of it yourself, but that when you study God's word, he has a continual word that you are an ever-flowing stream to others that you are not the source of, but he equips you to allow you to be connected to the source where he flows to others through you. So he equips you. Why should you study? Because it, it equips you to actually do the things that God has called you to do. Yesterday when we did this landscaping project, yes, we could have grabbed all that granite, grabbed all those weeds and done it with our bare hands, but it would have taken us longer. But instead, we took the equipment that we had and we attempted to use it effectively to do the task that was at hand. The question for you and I is, you have the equipment, but do you know how to use it? See, I didn't turn my phone off. Don't you love that? Great illustration that can really go bad. There you go. But he does equip us. Why should we study God's word? The second reason is, when you study, you gain ownership of what you believe. You know, we have all kinds of things going around in our world today, maybe more, definitely more today than, than any time in my lifetime, where it is imperative that we know God's word because we may be called upon to stand not only to defend it, but to know what it is that we believe. When you study God's word, you gain ownership of what you believe. When I was a freshman in college, I had grown up just about five miles from a lake, and we had an older boat that had a 100-horse Evinrude motor. And I didn't really like to fish, but when I got hot, I loved to water ski. But I couldn't slalom. Uh, I couldn't use the slalom ski. And so... When I was a freshman in college, I bought an O'Brien water ski. I still have it. It's in my attic today, unfortunately. Now, if someone were to bless our ministry with a boat, do you know that Jesus, Jesus discipled people very effectively from a boat? Did you guys know that? It's an incredible thing. And we would, Bart and I would love to disciple people, men of this church. Now, I'm teasing don't go out and buy, no, please don't. Unless God tells you. No, never mind. Never mind. No. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, go and buy them a boat. No. But I bought this slalom ski. And the point of this story is that I didn't know how to slalom ski. But until I invested some money in something, then I was determined that I was going to learn how to do it. And that summer, I learned not only how to slalom ski, but got pretty good at doing it because I invested in it. That's the reason sometimes we talk about doing things, you know, to our community for free. And sometimes people don't like to come to things that are free, but until they invest something in it, only then do they actually show up because they feel a sense of ownership. And that's why we should study God's Word. Because you need to know why you believe what you believe. And you don't just need to know it because you hear it from a pastor on Sunday or because you can call us on the phone. You need to know what God's Word says so that you can believe and it becomes yours. I want my two daughters to be able to be strong in faith so that they can go into this world as they go off to college or they go off with their and create their own families. I want them to know God's Word and for it to be theirs, not just their dad's faith. And to do that, they've got to know God's word for themselves. So we should study because it helps us to own our faith. Paul talked about the Bereans, folks that were actually from the region of Berea. Acts 17, verse 11 says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now, when you think of the people who got this word in Thessalonica, do you think they were appreciative of Paul saying that to them? 
that the Bereans were more noble in, in their character than those in Thessalonica. But why? Because they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The Berean Christians, their faith was theirs. Because they didn't just take Paul's word at face value. And understand, Paul wanted them to do this because Paul knew that there would be other people coming behind him who were not grounded in God's word. And he wanted them to be able to distinguish God's voice. Just like yesterday, as I was in a group in Bart's office with some men, when my daughters entered the room, there was all kinds of sounds of, of, our, of our teenagers in the fellowship hall. But I could distinguish my daughters. I could distinguish their laugh. I could distinguish, I knew them. You will be able to distinguish God's voice and to hear it only when you spend the time to own your own faith, not just to receive it from men. A third reason why we study is because it prepares us to give an answer. When the knock comes on your door of people who believe differently than you do, of people who want to state their opinion or state that they choose not to believe, are you ready to give an answer? As Timothy, as Paul writes to Timothy, his young, young brother and son in the faith, he says in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Did you say that last part with me? Rightly handling the word of truth. Did you know that you can even take God's word and use it in an incorrect way? And I've had people in my life who've sought to do that. They've sought to be the Holy Spirit for me. You see, here's what God says to you. That when your circumstances, when you're going through life, whatever circumstances you're going through, and you take the inner prompting of God's Spirit, and it lines up with God's established word, and you know this is God's will for you. So we need to be prepared to give an answer to others of why we believe what we believe. And we will only do that when we study God's word. Now here's what I want you to understand. I don't have all those answers. Matter of fact, this whole series that we've done has really raised a lot of questions for people. And people have kind of been emailing us and talking with us and asking us, well, what about dinosaurs and what about this and what about all these folks who are really old in the Old Testament and these different things. And here's the deal. There are times that I have to take some of those questions and I have to say, let me get back to you. But what does it encourage me to do? To go and study. And many times, when people come to me with those questions, you know what I tell them? I'm not going to give you the answer. I know what it is, but this week, I want you to go and study. Because when we do that, we take ownership of what we have, and we prepare ourselves to give an answer for others. So first today, I needed to deal with, can you hear from God? And the answer is, then we needed to know, why should I study the Bible? So that's what I've sought to give you now. It would be incomplete if I didn't actually help you take these tools, put these tools in your toolbox and say, but how do I study God's word? Inside your bulletin today, take it out. I want to encourage you. This is how to study God's word. These are three proven methods. Why are they proven? Because I've done all three of these, and I have proved them, and many others have proved them as well, that these are not the only methods of studying God's word. You can do a character study. We did some of that last summer when we looked at different characters in God's Word. We looked at the kings, and we looked at their lives. And you can take a character, and you can study that character in depth. You can do thematic studies over a theme in the Bible of redemption or grace or faith. You can do those kinds of studies. So there are many different kinds of tools. But I'm just going to give you three today that I have actually used in my own heart and life as I've studied God's Word, and they've been incredibly effective tools for me. And I've put them, we've put them in a form for you today, and with Kyle's help, and uh, he has put these together for us. So what I hope you'll be able to do is take this and tuck it into your Bible and always have it there with you. 
that when you are spending time alone with God, whenever that time is for you, don't let anybody convince you that it has to be before 5 a.m. That works for me, okay? Not always before 5 a.m., but sometimes before 6 a.m. That works for me. For Jennifer, her favorite time is in the evening. For others of you, it's going to be the fact that maybe it's during a break at work or during uh, a time at lunch or at a different time of the day. But you find the time that is right for you when you're studying God's Word so that you can be quiet and hear from Him by what He says through His Word. But how do you actually do that? There's three methods I want to give you. Did you guys know that the whole Methodist church got its name because John Wesley was a person who had a method of how someone should grow spiritually? That's how the Methodists got their name because John Wesley used these particular methods. So methods are great. They can be misused, but I want to teach you how to use a couple of these. The first one is what we call the SOAP method. Say SOAP with me. SOAP method, okay? The SOAP method is one I want to teach you simply because it is one that is very popular today, but it's also one that Kyle has taught our students. So parents, if you see this whole idea of SOAP method, he's taught our students this, so I want to teach it to our adults as well. It's simply an acronym. The S stands for scripture okay so what scripture what do you do with scripture when you read a passage simply write it out word for word now the way that i like to do that is i have my little composition journal it costs a total when it's on sale of 50 cents at walmart you can bend it back on its back you can always fill it up and go get another 50 cent journal i like to do something because i am ladies and gentlemen cheap okay let's just say it let's admit it this morning that's what i am i am cheap so but i like to use that and when i do this When I open up that composition journal, on the left-hand side, I will write out the scripture word for word that I sense that God might be saying something to me. Now, if you're reading through the Bible in a year and you're reading like six chapters a day, I'm not asking you to write down all six chapters. What I'm saying is if there's an area or a place where God, you you sense that God has really brought this out to your attention, I'm saying take that two or three verses and write it out word for word so the first s stands for what scripture simply write it out word for word the o stands for observation now you begin to ask some questions to the text that you've just written many of us are auditory learners we learn by what we hear okay those of you that are asleep today that's not your style okay just wanted you to know that today some of you are kinetic learners you like to use your hands some of you are visual learners you like to use your eyes so there are many different learning styles so this really works well for one that is kind of hands-on. So you're looking at observation. What do you see? Who was this written to? What did the author originally intend? Now, this is not in your notes today, and I would really encourage every single one of you to write down what I'm getting ready to say. And that is there are two websites. I have had six years of Hebrew and Greek, okay? I know you don't think that I have. I know that I don't look like I've had that many years of Hebrew and Greek. But today, there are websites that will help you bypass and not have to learn all the things that I've forgotten, okay? That'll catch up to you a little bit later. But I've forgotten most of what I've learned in that. But there are some websites that really help us in this. Or if you have a study Bible, it will help you with this observation question. But here are the two websites, and there are many others, but these are two that I use all the time and encourage you to as well. One is BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway.com. See, a lot of people just don't know that these tools are out there, and they're phenomenal tools for you to be able to use that will help you with word studies, that you can actually take a word that's in the New Testament or Old Testament and help you know what the original meaning of that word really was. Okay? Another one is called the BlueLetterBible.com. BlueLetterBible.com. Again, two great uh, tools to enable to help you with this whole observation. What you're asking is simply asking questions to the text. What is going on in this particular passage? So that's observation. And with this also, the objective is to rewrite this in your own words. So the first step with Scripture, you read it, and you write it out word for word as you see it. The second is to rewrite it in your own words. Now, when you hear us use the words translation, we're talking about translations like English Standard Version, New International Version, King James Version, uh, New American Standard Version. These are actually going back to the original language. 
But if we use the word paraphrase, which I think are very effective to use, this is what we're talking about. Someone who has read God's word through a translation and said, how do I see it in my own terms or my own language? One that I love to use a lot of times is one written by Eugene Peterson, and it is called The Message. Another one that was hugely popular, especially with Billy Graham, was one called The Living Bible. These are paraphrases. These are not translations, but they are written in someone else's words as they are going through Scripture. Does that make sense? So observation, the outcome of that is that you would rewrite this passage in your own words. What do you see and sense that it's saying? Okay? The A stands for application. Say that with me. Application. Application simply means what is it saying to me? Now I'm asking that question. What, what might God be intending for my life as, as I line up my circumstances and the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit in my life? What might He be saying to me? And you're asking that question of how should I apply it at this time? Now if you have trouble here, what you might think, you may say, hey, this doesn't, I don't see that this is saying something for me. Maybe it's saying something for somebody else. Now this is very dangerous. You don't want to interpret the Bible for other people and then go tell them what God's supposed to do, what they're supposed to do with God's Word, okay? How many of you have had people who've told you that? No, don't raise your hand. Just teach. Okay. But I have. And this is a way that sometimes we can use God's Word in a way that it wasn't intended to. But there are times that God does want to give a word to someone else. But you just need to pray through it and present it as this is something God's telling me and if He wants to use this in your life as well. But if you're struggling with this way of application, you don't really see how it applies to you, think how might this apply to someone else that you know as well. Then the final P is stands for prayer. Say that with me. Prayer. Simply write out a prayer to God. Now, for many of us, this is a, this is a huge hurdle for many of us. Okay, I don't want to pray in public, so I'm not asking you to pray in public. I'm asking you to write out, what do you, what do you want to say to God about? Maybe you want to thank Him for something that He's doing in your life today. For some of you, that's going to be just a sentence. God, would you give me the strength to make it through this day? That's a great place to start. Just write out a prayer to God. So SOAP is Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And again, this is the process of just journaling down your thoughts. And as you do this, this takes you to that next step of growth in your spiritual walk and life. The reason we're doing this series is that we're trying to give you the tools so that you hear from God on a daily basis, not just on what we say God is saying to us. The second method is one that I learned in college. Matter of fact, in the first service, one of my friends that I went to college with, he and I were in the very class where he and I both learned this method. He reminded me of that this morning. So I've been using this method literally since college, and I love this one. This one I use a lot personally. It's called the space method. Say space with me. Space, all right? Some of you feel like I'm in outer space, okay? I understand that. That's okay. But again, it's an acronym to help you ask certain questions towards a part or passage of Scripture. The S stands for, is there a sin to avoid? So as I read through a passage of Scripture, is there a sin for me to avoid that God would say, hey, Watch out for this, okay? It's where the yellow tape goes up. Watch out for this. Don't go here. Don't do this. Is there a sin for me to avoid? The second is, is there a promise for me to claim? The P stands for promise. Is there something that God promises me that if I do this, then I will get this? Is there a promise made for something in this passage for me? The A stands for, is there an action for me to take? That starts moving towards that application point, doesn't it? It says, is there something that I need to be doing? Is there some way that I need to readjust my path that I might see exactly where God wants me to go and to be? Is there an action for me to take? The C stands for, is there a command for me to follow? Jennifer's doing a study with a group of ladies over the book of James. Some of our ladies are doing the same study here at EVC. But James has the most imperatives or the most commands of any book in Scripture, greater even than Exodus, which has the Ten Commandments. And that's the reason so many of us love the practicality of James is because what? We want to know what we're supposed to do. And James is very clear that you do this and you don't do this and you have these commands 
that you are to follow. But as you're studying through Scripture, this is a great way for you to ask this question. And then the E is, is there an example for me to follow? Is there some example of some believer, some, uh, some apostle, Christ himself, some Old Testament figure? Is there an example that I'm to follow? Or in many cases, is there an example that I'm not supposed to follow? So we see an example that we should go a, a different direction for. All right. At this point, you guys are going, okay, this is message. This is great. Okay, some of you are saying, this, I don't really get this. So, it would be horrible for me today to actually take you through this and not give you an opportunity to put it into practice. So, in your little pamphlet there, you have Philippians chapter 2. We're going to play some fun little music for you, and I'm going to give you a chance and an opportunity to walk through these Five questions with this particular passage of Scripture. Here's our music. You do it right now, and I'm going to be walking out here with you today. I'm looking to see if your heads are down and your pins are up. I will pull you on stage if you have not done this effectively. Todd Pointer, you're looking at me and not looking down at your paper today. There you go. Just take a moment and look at these questions. Do you see a sin to avoid? Okay, don't stop when the music stops because some of you are like me and you're so ADD that you can't do anything while music is playing. So, take just a moment. Do you see a promise to claim? In this passage, you see an action to take. A command to obey or an example to follow. Now let's just look at this. Do you see any sins that we are to avoid? Do you see something in there? Sometimes if you see a do not do something, that's a good indication of that. Do you see in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do you think that would be a good message for us to take into our culture and society? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Pride, in other words from a way that you claw to get over someone else. If you're looking, if you read that yesterday morning, would it have changed an action that you might have taken? If you heard from God, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. What if you were looking at a job change and you were trying to discern, God, where do you want me to go? Is this selfish ambition? Is it wrong for you to make more money? No, it's not. But if you were to look and examine the motives of your own heart and you look at a job and trying to decide between this job or this job, and could God lead you by saying, don't do it by selfish ambition or conceit, but instead follow me? Man, that's, that's a great word, right? A sin to avoid. Is there a promise to claim? Now, I'll be honest. As I read this passage, I didn't see a promise to claim. So that's a very good example. I left it, and I could have gone and tried to search a, a passage of Scripture that would have every one of these, but that's one of the things I want you to know. You're going to read one of these questions and not always find it in the particular passage. That's okay. That may just mean that that's not what God has for you in that particular passage today. Maybe you found a promise, and that's great. So see, it's important for us to do this together so that we see the weaknesses of our own viewpoints sometimes. The A, action. That is not my phone, by the way. Okay. Is there an action for me to take? Is there an action for me to take? Well, there's several actions that I found in this passage. Let each one of you not only look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. These are some actions that deliberately I'm supposed to take. There are some commands that are in here. Again, do not do anything from selfish ambition. Complete my joy being of the same mind. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just that with your spouse having the same mind? I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing, yet that's a command that we've received from, from the Lord through Paul in the book of Philippians. Is there an example in this passage to follow? Absolutely. The last half of this passage says, look at Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient even to the death He's the example that we're to follow. So as you see through this method, it's a great method <clears throat> for you to just look at Scripture and to determine, God, 
what do you want to say to me? If you had walked through those five questions, do you think you might have a better idea when you got through than when you started as to what God might have for you in that passage? Again, a tool to put in your toolbox. The final one today is this. It's called the discovery method. As I have trained church planters, as I have trained small group leaders, life group leaders, over 20, almost 25 years of ministry, this is one of my favorite uh, tools to put in your toolbox. If you use this method, you can lead any group of people to actually look at a passage of Scripture and gain something from it by just using this discussion-type way of looking at Scripture. Here are the questions. The first two are, are two of my favorites, but I get the most pushback, especially from pastors, on these two questions. What do you like best in this passage, and what do you like least? And what do you think the really spiritual say? Well, what difference does it make what I like least about this passage? This is God's Word, so this is what it says. I'm going, dude, take a chill pill and get over yourself, okay? That's not what we're asking. When you ask the question of what do I like least about this passage, what you're really learning is something about yourself. That you're discovering maybe one of the hurdles and obstacles of your own life and your own fear that you might need to continue to work on. Let me show you how this happened with me as I walked through this passage with a group of Vietnamese Christians and a group of American Christians that were in a hotel room in Hanoi, Vietnam, and we got together because I wanted to do this training with these Vietnamese Christians and, turns out, with the American Christians. And I took a passage, Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends 72 of his followers out to go house to house and to talk to people about their faith. Luke chapter 10, verse 2 says, this the Lord appointed, and, and this after this the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So he sent them before he was going to go, and he said to them, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few." Okay, we've heard that passage before. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then when we got to verse three, we had some cool things happening in our group with in this Hanoi hotel with. Vietnamese Christians and American Christians. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And we dealt with those first two questions. What do you like best and what do you like least? You know what the American Christians liked least? That verse. That God would send us out as lambs among wolves. You know what the Vietnamese Christians liked best about that passage? That verse. That God would send us out as lambs among wolves. I said, wait a second. We've got a teachable moment here. Okay, let's talk this through. I said to the Vietnamese Christians, I said, please tell me, why do you like this best? They said, because that's the way we live our lives. What I hear that Jesus is saying to me is, that's me, I'm normal. I'm normal because he sent us out as lambs among wolves, and yet when I asked the American Christians, what do you like least? They said, we don't like that persecution stuff. We don't like being sent out as lambs among wolves. And who do you think learned that day? We were there to teach them, and guess what? We learned from them. And that's the way it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. The persecution is supposed to be normal. And when our lives look like just everybody else's, then guess what? We're just rolling with the flow, and that's not what God had intended. What do you like best? What do you like least? Is What are you looking for is, what might be the thing that I need to grow in? The third question in this discovery method is, what do you not understand? What's something that you might need to go back and study more the next week and bring an answer back to the group? Number four is, what do you learn about God? Is there something about His character? Is there something that He's teaching you? Is there something that's still a mis mysterious thing for you? What do you learn about God? Number five is that application point. What do you personally need to do about it? What do you need to do about what you've read today? And number six, excuse me, number six, which phrase or verse would you continue to think about? In other words, how would you go into this? And what do you need to keep chewing on? That, that picture of Pastor Bart last week as he imitated the cow. Okay, I can't do my jaw like he does. And it just cracked me up last week. And it, uh, that mess, that, but I want you to see that picture. What do you need to ruminate on? What do you need to keep chewing on? What is God doing in you that he's not quite finished with you yet on? that he wants to continue to work into your life. That might be a passage that you might need to memorize. 
because it's something that we're learning. Now, not only do we have these six questions, but what we're going to put up on our website is there's actually about four or five different variations of each of these six questions. So instead of six, we're going to have 35 to 50 questions for you to utilize with this. But again, it's a message. Why do I give this to you? As we kind of wrap up this series of the the adventures, here's, here's our heart's cry. You can trust it. We've tried to take you through history, through through the reliability, to help you understand how you can trust God's Word and that it stands on its own and that you can defend it because you can trust it. The second thing we've asked you to do is to actually get it off the shelf and read it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just talk about going to church. Read what God says in His Word. The third thing we've asked you is to know it. Know God's word. Hide it in your heart and allow God to speak. But the most important one, well, I don't even know that it's the most important. But it's one we definitely need to do. It's living. The church has been built on the first three. And we really stink at the last one. Living it out. Having it being something that's real and tools in your toolbox those tools won't do you any good unless you use Father thank you for this day and just for the opportunity Lord I pray for that person who's here today that doesn't know you maybe they've been coming for a while but they don't have a relationship with you and God I pray that you would speak to them Holy Spirit as we've talked about the inward promptings of the Holy Spirit God you convict us You're the one who helps us to know that we are separated from you. And Lord, if that's anyone here this morning, I pray that they would come to the place where they realize that you are their God. And that they ask you and invite you to come in to their heart and life. Father, for those of us who simply need to avail the tools that you've already given us, that we might hear from you and listen. God, I pray that we would do that as your May we be a church that's known for how we live it out. Not just how we know it, but how we live out your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Bart.